please. Encourage all of your friends and family and people you know who attend Journey. Take that survey, please. And four things about that survey, if you would remember. It is very thought-provoking. It's comprehensive. It'll cause you to think about stuff that you might not ordinarily traffic in, number one. Number two, it takes 20 minutes or so to take it, so block out 20 if you're going to do it. It is totally anonymous, so please be completely honest. Take the gloves off. Don't be Mr. or Mrs. Nice Person. Just take your gloves off and be honest. And it is very, very important because literally we're talking about taking out a clean sheet of paper and reinventing the way that church is ordinarily done. And so your input matters as we envision and dream and engineer just that kind of a movement, all right? It serves you at the end of the day. It's about your spiritual growth. It's about your spiritual development. And so you have a vested interest in this. Thanks in advance for paying attention and participating in that. The good news is that we received that survey link this week. We emailed it out on Friday to everybody in the church whose email address we have. If you didn't get that, please just give a call to our office tomorrow and let them know I didn't get that. Or the link is also in the weekly. You could just... Type that into your browser and it will take you to the survey and um, it'll be open for the next couple of weeks. So thanks in advance for doing that. I want to say again, welcome to Journey Church. It is our privilege to worship God with all of you. Welcome to week number two of a series that we call Finding Faith in the Movies. Last week we talked about faith through the lens of the film 300 and this week we're going to lighten things up just a bit, maybe a lot uh, from 300. We're going to shift gears no pun intended, to the film Cars. And raise your hand if you've seen Cars. Just put, yeah, lots of you. Uh, that's really, really great. But I'll bet I've seen Cars more than all of you put together, literally, over there at our house. Dan and I finally had to put our foot down back in the day and say no more Cars for a while because it just played and played and played at our house. I never thought I'd actually look forward to another episode of Dora the Explorer but we'd take anything over Cars there for a little stretch of time. And Cars is precisely what the title indicates it is, a world completely and wholly made up of cars. It's set against the backdrop of this NASCAR-type racing. Lightning McQueen, the star of the show, is a rookie on the verge of breaking all of the records of all rookies who have ever gone before him. And the film opens in a race in which McQueen neglects the advice of his pit crew. And he winds up skidding across the finish line on bare tires opposite his two rivals, forcing this three-way tiebreaker race to proclaim the true Piston Cup champion. Speaking of racing, uh, near the very end of their racing careers, there was a, a Ford racing car and a Chevrolet racing car, and they made a little pact. The pact was that the first one to reach racing heaven would let the other know if heaven even had car racing, and as luck would have it, we would all expect that the Ford died first and was demolished in a fiery wreck, and a few days later, the Ford revealed itself to the Chevrolet in a vision, and the Ford said, I have some good news and I have some bad news, and the Chevy said, well, what is it? Well, the good news, the Ford said, is that heaven is crazy about car racing, they have everything here, NASCAR, Indy cars, Formula Run, go-karts, you name it. It is all in heaven. So what's the bad news, the Chevy asked, the deceased Ford. The bad news is that you've won the pole position for next Saturday's race. 
The story of Cars follows Lightning McQueen, that rookie racing sensation whose appreciation for life in the fast lane has left him very little time for friends. And on his way to what is to be the most important race in his young life, Lightning runs into some serious trouble with the law, finds himself forced to spend time in Radiator Springs, a very tiny town located off of the legendary Route 66. And life in Radiator Springs moves at a much slower pace than Lightning's used to. All the citizens who make up the tiny blip of the town have nothing better to do with their time than watch Lightning lay down blacktop, offer their advice on life. Among the cars who inhabit Radiator Springs, a 51 Hudson Hornet named Doc, a pretty little Porsche, a lowrider who runs a body shop, Guido and Luigi, the tire store guys, the Italian racing enthusiasts, and Mater the tow truck, right, who considers himself to be Lightning McQueen's new best friend. And really, at the end of the day, Cars is a very touching homage to the bygone days of family road trips. Cars evokes memories of a time when one of the most popular ways to spend vacation days was to pack up the kids in the car and travel leisurely around America, stopping in little out-of-the-way towns filled with friendly folks, spending quality time enjoying the wonders of life on the open road. It's a nostalgic look back at small-town America, really, and Cars honestly never fails to make each and every character come alive on the screen. Here's just a sampling of Cars. Watch this. McQueen's not going into the pit. You know, the rookie just fired his crew chief. That's the third one this season. Well, he says he likes working alone, Darrell. Looks like Chick got caught up in the pits. Yeah, after a stop like that, he's got a lot of ground to make up. Get ready, boys. We're coming to the restart. to go and Lightning McQueen has a huge lead. Oh, he's got it in the bag. Call in the dogs and put out the fire. We're going to crown us a new champion. <laughs> Checkered flag, here I come. Oh no! McQueen is blowing tires! And with only one turn to go, can he make it? You fool!
the king and chick rounding turn four. And there it is, Christy, come, and it's, and it's... It's too close to call. I don't too believe it. I don't believe it. The most spectacular, amazing, unequivocally unbelievable ending in the history of the world. And we don't even know who won. Cameras, get out of here! We're here in Victory Lane awaiting the race results. McQueen, that was quite a risky move not taking tires. Tell me about it. Are you sorry you didn't have a crew chief out there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Corey, there's a lot more to racing than just winning. I mean, taking the race by a full lap. Where's the entertainment in that? <laughs> no, no, I wanted to give the folks a little sizzle. Sizzle? And am I sure I don't have a crew chief? No, I'm not. Because I'm a one-man show. What? Oh, yeah, right. That was a very confident Lightning McQueen coming to you live from Victory Lane. Hey, get out of the shot. Yo, Chuck. Chuck, what are you doing? You're blocking the camera. Everyone wants to see the bolt. What? Now back away. Ah, that's it. Come on, guys. Whoa, team. Where are you going? We quit, Mr. One-Man Show. Oh, 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 okay, leave. Fine. <laughs> how will I ever find anyone else who knows how to fill me up with gas? Adios, Chuck. Whatever. Hey, buddy. You're a one gutsy racer. Oh, hey, Mr. The King. You got more talent in one lug nut than a lot of cars has got in their whole body. Really? Oh, that's but you're stupid. Excuse me? This ain't a one-man deal, kid. You need to wise up and get yourself a good crew chief and a good team. You ain't going to win unless you got good folks behind you and you let them do their job like they should. just going to be okay. Oh, <clears throat> yeah, that, that is spectacular advice. Thank you, Mr. The King. Ooh, ladies and gentlemen. Cadillac sting like a beamer. <laughs> My friend Guido, he dreamed to give a real race car. A pit stop. Pit stop? Uh, <laughs> the race is only one lap, guys. Uno lapo. Don't need any help. I work solo mio. Fine. Race your way. No pit stopo. Comprendo? Okay. This ain't asphalt, son. This is dirt. Oh, great. What do you want? You here to gloat? You don't have three-wheel brakes, so you've got to pitch it hard, break it loose, and, and just drive it with the throttle. Give it too much, you'll be out of the dirt and into the tulips. So you're a judge, a doctor, and a racing expert. I'll put it simple. If you're going hard enough left, you'll find yourself turning right. Oh, right. That makes perfect sense. Turn right to go left. Yes! Thank you! Or should I say no thank you? Because in opposite world, maybe that really means thank you. Crazy grandpa car. What an idiot. <laughs> 
right to go left. selected those clips for us to watch here today because as I surveyed the whole film I noticed how Lightning McQueen is forced to deal with some of the same stuff that real people are forced to deal with people just like us like every single day of our lives the big idea for today says this to live in a way that pleases God includes but certainly isn't limited to living interdependently listening and respecting elders. If you've got a Bible with you today, I'd invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 1. You can follow along on the side screens too if you don't have a text. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 1 reads like this. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. And here in 1 Thessalonians, this is Paul's very first letter to the church at a place called Thessalonica. Heck of a name for a town, huh? And near the very end of his letter, which is where we are here in chapter 4, he wants to bring some crystal clear clarity to the Christ followers there about what behavior looks like for people who know and follow Jesus. And the way he puts this to them and to us is absolutely fantastic. Notice that Paul does not give a list of to-dos and to-don'ts when he talks about the behavior and the actions of a Christ followers. He just doesn't do it. Instead, he frames the behavior, the things we do as a Christ follower, in totally relational terms here. Live in a way that pleases God. Well, how are we to know what pleases God? Well, it's through a relationship with Him that we discover what brings pleasure to God Himself. See? But that is a relational deal, totally relational. So many of us walking the planet today, maybe you'd find yourself among these ranks, think of God as just this giant cosmic cop sitting up high in the heavenlies with his taser gun and his nightstick and his radar gun, his citation book, always on duty. Just like waiting with glee for us to step out of line so that he can tase us or smack us or issue a citation to us to knock us back into line. But that's not the image of the God of the Bible. See, not even close. The God of the Bible says, look, look, would you? Your life is no accident, God says. Before your parents conceived you, you were conceived in my mind, God says. You are alive because I wanted to create you. I prescribed every detail of your body, God says. I decided when you would be born. I decided how long you will live. God says, I don't do anything, nothing, accidentally. I never make a mistake. God says, I have reason, see, for everything. You were designed with my purpose in mind which is to be the recipient of my unlimited and my unending love, God says. God designed all of us, every person walking the planet, for relationship with Him and see His smile is the highest goal of our life. And the smile of God on our life becomes reality when we have a relational proximity to Him that's like right here. Like right here, not not just like God's out there somewhere and I relate to him as out there somewhere or he's just kind of at an arm's distance. 
or maybe like right in here. No. We have relational proximity with God. We know and experience His smile on his, our life when He resides in us. When we have a personal relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, we discover more and more what pleases God, what elicits His smile on us. And we can certainly walk around this planet trying to please everybody, can't we? Lots and lots of us try it. The pressure piles on and the pressure piles on and the pressure piles on. We get on that people-pleasing treadmill and it just does not stop. Pleasing my parents, pleasing my spouse, pleasing my clients, pleasing my kids, pleasing my boss, pleasing my neighbors, pleasing my friends. And we wonder, after we get started, is there any way out of the people-pleasing trap? Because that's exactly what it is. I love what Bill Cosby says. He says, the key to failure is trying to please everybody. The key to failure, right there. Trying to please everybody. Because see, at the end of the day, ultimately, we play to an audience of one, capital O, one, and it's God. It's God. And Paul says, very simply, live in a way that pleases God. And when we do, His smile will be upon our lives. And there's some very specific behaviors that we know from the Bible, God's Word, which are pleasing to God. And they're quite the opposite behaviors of what we see exhibited by the illustrious Lightning McQueen in cars. The first one, if you're following along on your notes page, is this one. Inner dependence pleases God versus Lightning McQueen's Lone Ranger mentality. Interdependence pleases God. And you saw Lightning McQueen's Lone Ranger go-it-alone strategy all through that cut that we showed, didn't you? He fired his crew chief, right? The commentator said that was his third one this season. He doesn't really need a pit crew. He doesn't even know the names of his pit crew that he has anyway because they just change tires and they just put gas in him. He works solo meal, doesn't he? And so do a whole bunch of Christ followers. We work solo meal. But the life, see, that pleases God is a life lived interdependently. Interdependently is defined as unable to exist or survive without each other. Relying on mutual assistance, support, cooperation, or interaction. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 25 and 26 puts this so well, especially from the message reads like this, the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't, the parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. That is fantastic. That's the model for the way we do life. It's the model for the way we do church. Because see, all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. God created us, see, to live life in community. Solo meal, solitary saints, spiritual hermits, lone ranger Christians do not have any part in a life that is pleasing to God. Our daughter Bailey, she's in school and she goes over there to the big Hawthorne school and they've got an ice skating rink over there at Hawthorne and Bailey's been trying to learn how to skate at recess there and this just this past week was like her first time ever to ice skate. At the end of school one day I picked her up, I asked her how the ice skating went 
She said, she just shook her head and said, Dad, it went terrible. It just went terrible. I could not stand up. I fell all the time. And so I said, well, what did, what did you do about that? Before she could answer, I've got kind of a vivid imagination, and before she could answer my question, what did you do, all I could conjure up, see, were images of my firstborn kindergarten daughter, precious, flailing about on the ice, trying to stand up, not being able to stand up, her fingers stretched out on the verge of getting sliced off by other kids who were triple toe looping over her little sprawled out kindergarten, slicing her fingers right off. Her answer, though, awakened me from those horrible images in my imagination. She said, I asked some big kids for help. That's what she calls them, big kids. I asked some big kids for help. I was like, you did? Yeah. She said, very, very nonchalantly. And I said, well, uh, did they help you? Yeah. They stood me up and they held my hands for a while until they needed to go skate by themselves. And I said, well, when they left you, what happened? I, I fell down again, Dad. I said, well... What did you do then? Well, I asked some other big kids for help. I said, well, did they help you? Yes. They stood me back up. They held my hand and they helped me for a while. And I was so darn proud of little Bailey, five years old, for her humility to see that she needs help and for her willingness to ask for help, plus her boldness to ask big kids for help. And then I got to thinking, whose kid is this anyway? Because she certainly didn't come by those traits via DNA, like Dana and I got issues when it comes to asking for help, but she gets it. Bless her heart, she gets it. She gets the explanation from 1 Corinthians of how you and how I, how the church is supposed to function. Every part dependent on every other part. She understands that if she wants to ice skate, she's going to have to ask for help Getting off her butt and standing up. Somebody's going to have to hold her hand. Interdependent. No lone rangers. I need you. You need me. We all need each other. See, that's the body of Christ. No solo meal. No lone ranger. And spiritual growth and development and health cannot and will not happen in lone ranger fashion. Let's say that I were to cut my body open and tear my spleen out and set it right here on this table. You'd all be really grossed out, right? It'd be rather disgusting. My spleen will shrivel and die there because it cannot survive on its own. How many spleens have you seen just walking down the street, right? When we disconnect and when we cut ourselves off from each other, from the church, from the body of Christ, our spiritual life will certainly wither and will eventually cease to exist. See, interdependence pleases God, contrary to the theology of Lightning McQueen. Back in 2006, in a game between the San Diego Chargers and the big old Denver Broncos on December 10th, Chargers running back Ladanian Tomlinson took his position the very same way he had taken it hundreds of times before during the season. But this particular play was much different, see? After receiving the ball and sprinting around two defenders for a seven-yard gain, Tomlinson found himself in the end zone for his NFL record-breaking 29th touchdown of the season. That was a big moment. Some of you remember it. But as impressive as that accomplishment was, it was Tomlinson's interdependent behavior after the run that really stole the show. Instead of raising his hands in victory or dancing across the end zone like so many other players, Tomlinson instead beckoned for his offensive line, those inconspicuous behemoths who had cleared the path 
for his success, he invited them to join him. And with 67,000 fans cheering wildly, he helped his entire team bask in the glory. And what was even more surprising was that he refused to acknowledge any individual accomplishment when talking with reporters after the game. Instead, he very consistently used plural pronouns to include his teammates. When we're old, he said, when we can't play this game anymore, those are the moments that we're going to remember being able to tell our kids and our grandchildren about. We made history today, he said. And there's no better feeling than to share it with a group of guys in the locker room. Interdependence. No solo meal, no Lone Ranger, no one-man show. And the question for us today is who do you have in your world who you are interdependent on? Who do you have in your world who is looking out for your ultimate success when it comes to your spiritual growth, your development, your health as a human being? Who is looking out for you? Who are you looking out for? Who's going to pick you up off the ice when you fall down? If nobody comes to mind, invite somebody in. There's lots of people around here who would be delighted to help you. There was a gal last night who came up to me after the service and she said, I've got a very weird question for you. I was like, okay, try me. Nothing's weird. She said, I don't have a single friend. I was like, oh, that's not so weird. She said, well, this is going to get real weird. I said, okay, keep going. She said, would you help me find a friend? I said, absolutely, absolutely. And maybe that's the step that you need to take to invite somebody in that you would live interdependently with. You need them. They need you. Point number two on your outline. We know that listening pleases God versus Lightning McQueen's unteachability and failure to listen. Listening pleases God. Interdependence pleases God and listening pleases God. And I don't know if this grabbed you like it grabbed me, but that scene when Mr. the King rolls up onto that ramp and starts out talking to Lightning McQueen by saying, hey buddy, you're one, one gutsy racer. You got more talent in one lug nut than a lot of cars got in their whole body, he says. But you're stupid, Mr. the King says. This ain't a one-man deal, kid. You need to wise up and get yourself a good crew chief and get yourself a good team. You ain't going to win unless you've got good folks behind you and you let them do their job, right? Remember that speech that he makes. And it's about right there at that moment where Lightning McQueen like zones out and he starts daydreaming, right? About being the new face of Dinoco. And McQueen comes back into reality just as Mr. The King is finishing up his attempted mentoring session. And we do the very same thing a lot of times don't we? We miss vast amounts of truth and wisdom from others because we're so consumed with working our own plan, working our own dream, working our own vision that we become unteachable and we stop listening to others. Look at James 1.19 from the Bible though. Here's what it says. James writes this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen. It goes on, but we could just park it right there. You must all be quick to to listen. And I heard a story recently that perfectly illustrates our need to be very quick to listen. There was a couple of hunters who were out in the woods of New Jersey. They're East Coast hunters where they don't know how to count points. You know, they like total them all up instead of just one side. They're like, yeah, I got a 24 point. You're like, no, 
24 point, what is that? East Coast hunters, they're out hunting in New Jersey. One of the hunters falls to the ground, right? He doesn't seem to be breathing. His eyes are rolled back in his head. Absolutely terrified, his buddy whips out his cell phone and calls 911. And you know you're hunting in New Jersey when your cell phone works, when you're hunting, right? You can call 911. And he shouts into the phone, my friend is dead, what can I do? He cries over the phone. And in a very calm, very soothing voice, the 911 operator says, just relax, take it easy, I'm here to help you. First, let's make sure that your friend is dead. And there is this moment of silency, and then this one single gunshot is heard through the phone. And the guy's voice comes back on the line, okay, now what? He says. That's not a true story, by the way, just if there's any question. You see, just like moms have an almost supernatural ability to hear their baby's faintest cry, James is urging us that we too should be very quick to listen for what God is saying to us. And it's important for us to understand that God's message, see, it isn't always going to come just through the Bible. It isn't always going to come just through some Christian source. God can speak His truth, capital T, to us through anything that He wants to speak it through. Thus, James' message to us that we'd better be paying attention. Mr. The King's counsel to Lightning McQueen was just what he needed to hear. But he tuned it out, see, because he was not quick to listen. I waited over 60 days recently for a meeting with a very well-known leader. Not because I had anything to talk to this leader about. Certainly, I don't have anything to talk to this leader about. But because I had two or three questions that I wanted to ask this leader, and I just wanted to sit there in a chair and listen and take notes about what that person had to say to my question, in answer to my questions. This person had something certainly to teach me. And so at the appointed day, at the appointed hour, I shuffled into the room where we were going to meet and I sat down and I thanked that person for their time. And I said, I came here today to ask you a couple of questions that I think you can help me with. May I ask you these questions? Absolutely. And literally for the next 60 minutes, I hardly said anything except to answer a question that this person asked me or when I needed to have something that that person said clarified for just about the whole hour. And I got great stuff out of that one hour meeting. But see, if I had been all caught up in talking about my deal or more worried about what I was going to say than just with listening, see, I'd have missed the stuff that was through this person from God for me. Who in your life have you been tuning out who in your life has God been trying to use to get your attention to speak to you about the things that he has for you? Who in your life do you need to be more quick to listen to? We all have those people. Let's tune into them. Quick to listen. The third thing we're going to talk about today, and this is where we're going to park it. We also know that respect for elders pleases God versus Lightning McQueen's arrogance. Respect for elders pleases God. Lightning McQueen said of Doc, the Hudson Hornet Doc, called him crazy grandpa Carr. What an idiot. Because he was old and because he seemed irrelevant to Lightning McQueen. And McQueen truly captures very well for us the snapshot of our culture today with that. 
In the year 2007 in America, old people so often are just seen as in the way, right? Just like McQueen sees them. Crazy, old, idiot, grandpa, just like McQueen calls them in the film. The primary streams of our culture, see, flow in a way that demeans and disrespects the elderly in society. These days, we bow down in worship to the young and to the hip and to the cool and to the relevant, right? We pay homage at the fountain of youth. And we actually resist our own getting old because we know how society views the elderly in general. This week I sat in a room full of elderly people who were gathered for the funeral of the mother of a friend of mine. And I scanned the room. I like to do this. I just people watch sometimes. And I scanned the room and I noticed the average age in the room was somewhere north of 70 years old. And as I watched those people that day, I got to thinking, you know, there is a lot of life and there is a lot of knowledge and there is a lot of experience sitting right here in this room that will never span the generational divide. There's stuff that these people in this room know that's going to go to the grave with these folks because my generation and the generations that are coming behind me are way too arrogant to hear it and ask for it and to receive it. You know what I'm talking about. But look at 1 Peter 5.5. The text says, In the same way, you younger men, call it you younger people, must accept the authority of the elders. All of you and all of you serve each other in humility, for God opposes, opposes the proud, but favors the humble. And around Journey Church, see, that verse has incredible application for us around here. Because see, back in 2005 when we were starting this place up, people would very often say to us, so you want to start a church for young people, huh? They heard about our plans and they heard about our vision. I guess they took one look at how old I am and thought a church for young people. That's what that's going to be. And our answer was absolutely not. Not a chance we just want to start a church for young people. Because see, a church solely made up of young people would be a church headed off of a cliff. We've always envisioned Journey Church as an intergenerational group where younger folks respect and accept the authority of our elders who have the wisdom and experience of years and life to impart to we young bucks. That's been our dream around here. And that wisdom and that experience and that life, it isn't just something we tolerate it. Not just something we tolerate, but we actually welcome it. We invite it. We seek it. We even pray for it. The more we started to get that question, a church for young people, we literally started, the leadership team around here started earnestly praying that God would see fit to send us, to send to Journey Church, those more advanced in years. Some of you literally are a direct answer to that prayer that we've been praying for a few years now. Thank you. Thank you very much for being an answer to God's prayer. And I'm going to pick... George and Virginia don't have any idea I'm going to do this. Would you wave at us, George and Virginia, please? Just give us a wave. That's George and Virginia right back there. And I remember sitting in the prayer room a couple of years ago, and I saw them walking across the parking lot. And I was like, yes, yes, send more George and Virginia Coxes. You guys are in your 80s. And they have much to impart to us. Please don't swarm them all at once and ask. Be a little overwhelmed. But they've got stuff, 
stuff that we all ought to get. Life lived, wisdom learned. Who in your life, let me ask you, who in your life have you bypassed because they're elderly? Who in your life have you disrespected? Who in your life have you forgotten the authority of? Who in your life have you failed to humble yourself to learn from them? We all have those people. It would be very, very wise of us as a community to circle back and press in with those folks and invite them to speak into our lives at any juncture. Just say, you have full license in my life. Anytime you see anything in me, we just, just point it out, please. I give you license. I give you passport in my life. Respect for our elders pleases God. I invite you to take your stuff if you would. Would you just set it aside and encourage you to close your eyes and bow your heads? Just speak to the Lord about what it is that you're thinking about. Just tell God what's on your heart, your mind, if you would. you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a moment if you would please as I stand up here I don't have any idea where you stand in relationship to God today you do God certainly does and maybe as you sit here in this room today you know that you are on a fantastic course of pleasing God your whole life your whole world is ordered around pleasing God and if that's the case for you Way to go. Way to go. Keep that up. Add some more fuel to that fire. Let your church, let your leadership around here know how we can add more fuel to that fire. That's why we're here, to assist you on the course of pleasing God. Just keep that up. But maybe as you sit here in this room today, you know that you have yet to take God up on His offer of salvation to you, which honestly, that's where pleasing Him begins. It starts right there. at stepping across the line of faith in His Son, Jesus. And I want you to know that today, you can settle that once and for all. And you can do that by acknowledging that Jesus loves you immeasurably, that He is there for you, that He died on the cross to be your Savior, to be the rescuer of your soul. You can choose today to put your faith and trust in Him as your Savior by the blood that He shed on the cross for you, for the forgiveness of your sin, to pay that price. And if that's you, if you're choosing to step across that line of faith today, I'd invite you just to express it to God by praying along with me. Right where you're sitting, you can pray a prayer that goes something like this. God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to make a way for me to have a relationship with you. God, I know that I've sinned in ways that I shouldn't have. But today, God, I realize that you are perfect and that you are holy and that my sin has separated me from you. I did that, God. I separated myself from you. But God, with everything in me, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I ask you to please forgive me and please send Jesus to live inside of my heart. 
God, from today forward, I want you to be my friend. I want you to change me. I need you to clean me up, please. God, starting today, I make you the boss. I make you the king of my life. And if you just pray that prayer with me then, that's the biggest decision you'll make your whole life. Nothing matters more and nothing carries more weight. Big deal. And it's such a big deal that around here we ask people to tell us when they've made that decision. And I'm going to ask you to do that with me right now. Nobody in this room is looking around except me. I'm just going to ask you if you prayed with me just then to give your life to Jesus Christ, to step over the line of faith in Him, would you be so bold as to just slip your hand up and make eye contact with me? You can do that now. Yeah, you right there, way to go. And you two right back there, way to go. And you two right back there in the back. Three of you, way to go. Would you make sure I catch your eye, please. I don't want to miss anybody. God, we just love you. And we sincerely just want to please you with our whole lives, God. We want everything about our conduct to just honor you and give glory to you, the glorious one. We want to reflect you marvelously to the world around us, God. Would you help us do that, please? Because for us to please you, it, it's worship. It's us laying down our lives for you.